Hello and welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. We feature the open-minded musings of two late 40s curmudgeons staring at the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, which, as always, nonstop for many, many years now, is an animation studio in Burbank, California, filled with pipe-smoking old men in cardigans and thick black glasses drawing cell-shaded images of dancing princesses and dwarves fast working themselves to a heart attack via relentless production schedule, poor mid-century diet, and generational atherosclerosis. Those guys, wait, those guys aren't on strike right now? Uh, that's a good question. I'm thinking of a very particular... I mean, the voiceover, the voiceover guys are on strike. Yeah, so yeah, here's they're, they're, those are actors, yeah. If the strike, if the WGA strike goes on and on and on and on, and it really impacts the ability of new content by the, you know, netflix of the world... Will will they say, okay, fuck it, we don't need actors. I mean, if the cartoonists are still working, I don't know if they, I assume they are. So we're just going to make animation and we're going to use AI to do the voices. Yeah, sure. Could they do that? Yeah, I think it or, would. Or just, or just snippets of recordings and like put them together or Frankenstein them together. Well, somebody pointed to out dialogue. today a very, I thought it was a very um, potent um, reminder that if these companies, if it was possible for them to make their entire nut just on back catalog they would never make something new again if they didn't have to. Probably, you know, if, yeah. If they could just sell GoldenEye on DVD or whatever on streaming service and that somehow made enough money, that would be fine. It's like they just don't want to deal, they don't want to deal with the business of dealing with human beings because that's just labor costs. But, but is it, you could argue that that's an inevitable, and welcome to the socialism cast, you can argue that that's an inevitable outcome of capitalism. You know, we've seen it with the retail businesses you know, uh, Sears or whatever. I guess Sears is gone now. But Sears used to be a place that had a thousand departments and every department had, you know, some guy there, or usually guy, in some cases women, who was an expert and, and you know, could, could be informative on every product there. And then over time, they're like, well, screw that. It's more cost effective just have a teenager punching the buttons in the cash register yeah. and saying, and they, you know, they last, you they last 11 months online. and they burn out. Yeah. Right, exactly. So like, isn't that inevitable that once technology allows it, you reduce labor costs to the detriment of the product and everyone loses? That's possible. But, you know, I'll, when the proletariat rises up, I'll be honest, the reference here was more about Walt Disney's um, eight old men, the actual guys who right. all worked in like around 19 uh, from 1935 uh, or so to like 1950. Right. Ub Iwerks. That's Love Ub Iwerks. Ub Iwerks. Yeah. Raleigh Ub Iwerks is a great name. Wally Crump. By the way, Raleigh. Pre- Raleigh Crump. Raleigh, not Wally. Wally Crump. Raleigh. R O L L Y. Raleigh. Rolling. Like Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. Just, just to, just to preview our topic today. In researching our topic today, if you go back to the 1890s and the first people to really invent what are you know can be considered e-bikes had some great names. We had Ogden Bolton Jr. and I'm still not sure how to pronounce this. Hosea W. Libby. Yeah. Our, our. Inventors of the 1890s credited with, I guess they need to be credited as the grandfathers of the electronic bicycle. Yes. By the way, who who is it Are, that I'm speaking to? It's, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm not important. Less it's nobody. Throw your stones. Um, my name is Noah Tarno. I'm the founder and senior quiz master of the big quiz thing, the trivia game show spectacular. That's awesome. It's all, That's it's what all, I think. It's only... 
Thank you, Bill. That's all you need to know. All, all right. Know. So on this podcast, besides talking about the uh, who who was there to sell you um, husky tough skins uh, jeans at Sears Roebuck in the old days, which is a product I probably actually bought in 1984. Um, we right. also and then you tear out the page from the catalog to uh, yeah. you know to do your business. Yeah. So do your business. So we also, uh, as a sideline, talk about popular culture trends and we shake them down to see if there's some value. Even though the, the title of the show is is I don't get it. The reality is, is that we often do get it. It's just a hip flip thing that we, we put to, 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 to keep people away. Potential listeners will not listen to the show because of the title. And that was something we yeah. should have thought of a long time we, ago. But in any, we, any case. We do not have as many listeners as, you know, you might think a show of this quality would have. But we like it that way because we, we have a more we have a very selective appeal. We don't just want any yes, listener. It's true. Right. We, we don't, don't just want any or listener. Any, we or want any, quality. Any yeah. Yes. We, we, have a, <laughs> we have a quality over quantity strategy. And uh, it is it is non-determinate if quality is zero. No, um, if quantity is zero. Right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, we, we we have selective appeal. So this week, uh, it's not exactly a bleeding edge issue. However, it is something that's been on a mm. boiling boil or a, boi- a boiling royal. How do you describe it? It's it's definitely. You, you a, managed a, to find a few very recent articles about this. This this is yeah. definitely more timely now than you know. I think this is good timing. I think this is it timing. is, and it's like it's an epochal change that was sort of uh, came about with the beginning of pandemic in particular. As my notes will refer to later, we are describing uh, the topic is the electronic bicycle or the e-bike as it's being called or in holland we call it the a uh literally electronic what does that bicycle. Mean? electronic bicycle a is a bicycle <laughs> okay believe it so if is it do you use the hyphen is it e hyphen yes is exactly a feats that's okay. it is the name of it yeah a, so, oh and it, the e is pronounced a the vowel sounds in dutch exactly so to, to really to, so is to, the letter a pronounced e ah Ah. I mean, do you just flip them? Ah, so yeah. you don't and flip them. Okay. The I is pronounced E, if you can believe it. Oh, so confusing. I know, believe it. I don't so, understand. Uh, why don't? Why doesn't everyone just, everyone in the world just speak English? Wouldn't that speak be simpler? Am- speak American. So in particular... Speak, uh, hey, speak English the way Jesus Christ did, you know? E-bikes are motorized bicycles with an integrated electric motor used to assist propulsion. Many kinds of e-bikes are available worldwide, but they generally fall into two broad categories. Bicycles that assist pedal power and bicycles that add a throttle, which integrate moped-style functionality. Uh, both of these bicycles... Meaning you, th- those are for the lazy people. You don't have to pedal. You just exactly. you press yes. the button yeah, and you right. go. It's like a lawnmower, exactly. Both retain the ability to be pedaled by the rider and are therefore not motorcycles. Motorcycles uh, would just be an engine of some sort, whether electric or combustion, on two wheels. This is still maintaining a pedal power at a chain uh, at its heart. So e-bikes use rechargeable batteries and are typical motor powered up to 16 to 20 miles per hour maximum as stipulated by generally accepted international conventions. That's true. There's actually a cap on this. Uh, not that you can't uh, judge, you can, you can fudge with that, but it does void the, the manufacturer warranty if you do. So high-powered varieties can often travel more than 28 miles an hour, but you start to get into some like weird, fuzzy class, uh, classification issues. Uh, e-bikes are legally classified as bicycles rather than mopeds or motorcycles to so the points of motor vehicles on the street, licensure, licensure, licensing, that stuff like that, operation. Uh, so this ex- this exempts them from more stringent laws regarding certification and operation of more powerful two-wheelers, which are often classed as, you know, your, your, your classic uh, motorcycle or electric motorcycle, too, because, again, they're not just combustion. 
Um, so there have been e-bikes since the turn of the last century, as Noah mentioned uh, at the top of the show. But they really only caught on as a consumer sensation in the last 20 years as sale costs became attainable, owing quite a bit to the prevalence of rechargeable battery technology. Uh, and rechargeable batteries are actually proving to be a fire hazard. This is outside the e-bike phenomenon itself. Rechargeable batteries, lithium-ion, nickel-cadmium you know, nickel is non-rechargeable. Lithium-ion is rechargeable. Um, a fire... Uh, may, that springs from one of these devices. These chem it's, it's, it's much harder to extinguish than normal combustion. It takes much more water to put it out because it runs hotter. It's a chemical fire. Anyway, that's a side issue. Sales of e-bikes spiked during the pandemic, and I can attest from my own experience here in Holland that such a mode of conveyance is the lang lingua franca of travel. Can there be a lingua franca of travel? I was trying to come up with this in my notes. It just seems like it's a mixed metaphor. Uh, but I don't know. I yeah, I think I don't know if it's a mixed metaphor. I think it's a mis it's a misapplied metaphor. Yeah. I mean, lingua franca. It would, I don't think that literally to like that literally means transport. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I think you know you get the point of what I was trying to say, but there's a more artful way to say it. Anyway, I get I get the point, but it was very inartfully expressed. So shame on you. E-bikes were selling out fast during the pandemic. <laughs> Uh, only the most expensive models remained on shelves, and wait lists were established based on manufacturing shortcomings because, of course, parts and places that came from everywhere, it was very difficult to fulfill the need for e-bikes. Um, so there have been quite a few newer stories as of late pertaining to the safety. Essentially, I think what the argument these days, if they're talking about e-bikes at all, we're talking about the safety of faster bikes on congested urban streets and whether this phenomenon requires unique regulation. Um, one quote I have here from this guy at the New York Times, I think he's an infra guy, this guy named Matt Rictel. He says that we're adding a product which adds speed and weight to bikes with no training, no license, no registration in a very risky traffic environment. Um, so, yeah, uh, Noah, you're a, you're a, as we all know, you, um, you want to kick the coral and, and, and smack the spotted owl in his face because you're actually a, a motor vehicle owner. You're contributing to car culture. Uh, and... and choking up the world with carbon emissions and all those things. And so you, you may have a different opinion on bicycles, but what what was the last, like, what do you think about e-bikes? When was the last time you were actually on a bicycle, per se? Oh, my God. I've never been a bike guy. Like, I learned to ride a bike late, but not that late. I was, like, eight or nine. And I never really got into bikes. And it's sad because the few times I've ridden them, they're fun, and I kind of wish I had. Like, I'm terrified of, like, being on a road, like street street with cars but like i've always thought like big flat places I, sh I should just do it i should just go to like chrissy field here in san francisco and i'm not in holland folks bill's in holland i'm in san francisco uh for our first time listeners the, the whole e-bike community um can we say listeners plural <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, anyway uh 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 yeah i just it's one of these things i feel like i've missed out in life but it's never too late folks it is never too late, except when it is. Uh, so yeah, I'm not a bicycle guy. I'm not a gadget guy. I'm, I mean, as a kid, I briefly said, yeah, when I'm older, I want to get a motorcycle. And I told my mom that, and she's like, I would disown you, because apparently she knew someone who was really badly injured on a motorcycle. And I'll tell you, Bill, I'm driving more these days. Not that much. but dri By the way, I've had this car like two months. I have yet to fill up the tank. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's a hybrid. It gets 50 miles per gallon, so it's pretty To good. point that out, yes, it is um, a hybrid, in fact. But I tell you, as recently as yesterday, I'm, I'm driving across the Bay Bridge to, to Berkeley here. And, you know, pretty much every time I do this, you know, you're, Bay Bridge is always a period where there's traffic. And the motorcycles come up to you on your right and your left and you hear them coming and they freak me out, man. They freak me 
out because I'm just afraid, like, if I, if for some reason I go an inch to the left, I'm going to pitch this guy, you know, into another car and they'll go flying off into, into the water. Are these like uh, a but that's motorcycle. crotch rockets out of Akira? Is it like the real high I mean, they're not even going thing? that fast, but, but they're weaving through the traffic, which, by yeah. the way, when I, look, when I got my driver's license, I don't know if that's the case in California. When I got my driver's license, it was made very clear to me that motorcycles cannot weave through cars. No, like, no. They, they need they, to be... At no point they have they ever take, legally been able to do that. Right. The full width of a lane, like, yes. like they're a car. Yes. Bicycles exactly. can weave. I remember they said bicycles can weave, but not motorcycles. I don't remember what they said about mopeds. But these are e-bikes. These are a little different from all these things. So this is something I knew existed, but I never really thought about till Bill suggested it as a topic. And it's popped up a lot. There's some articles in the New York Times. Um, I mean, in general, I think this is great. You know, it gets people moving, right? I mean, bicycles just, you know, it, it's, it's good exercise. It's good for the environment. And then e-bikes, you know, they're not quite the same as bicycles, but all indications are. There were some stats I wrote down here. E-bikes are 18 times more energy efficient than an SUV, 13 times more energy efficient than a sedan, six times more energy efficient than rail transit, and of equal impact to the environment as a conventional bicycle. That's pretty damn good, right? So, you know, how do you not like this, especially now that the planet's on fucking fire and we gotta do everything we can to ensure that, you know, one human being remains 100 years from now. So it gets people moving. And of course, we're all just, you know, we're all in terrible shape, me included. So like anything that gets people moving is good. Um, and despite what we're going to get into, they're safer than cars. <laughs> Most things are. We do day to day. But a lot of the, the scuttlebutt now, a lot of the article in Times is that they're dangerous. They're unregulated. Uh, they focus on this really sad story. This kid in Southern California, 15-year-old kid, you know, Great student in his school. Everyone loved him. And he was clipped by a car while he was on an e-bike and he died. And it's terrible. Now, I think a little of saying, oh, e-bikes are dangerous because of these incidents. We need to regulate them is a little bit of victim blaming. Like, how about regulating the fucking cars better? But, you know, we're down that road. We're all driving cars. We're a car culture and cars are dangerous. So we can make them safer, but they're always going to be dangerous. And I'm, look, I'm a big big government lefty, I believe in regulation. And um, the rise of e-bikes is a little of like this, this tech bro attitude of move fast and break shit, you know, that mentality. That you build things, you, you, uh, look, you ask forgiveness instead of asking permission. And I'm a bit of a hypocrite, you know, castigating that because I run a small business where I do a little of that myself. Um, it's... The problem of a new thing pops up, the government isn't nimble enough to catch up with it, to regulate it, to control it, and it gets dangerous, and by then it's too big to rein in as effectively or as efficiently as you'd like. So I do think that's a problem, and hopefully over time these things will get regulated so that they are safer. But again, I'd rather just regulate cars. Um, there was a great quote here that there's a e-bike company called Super 73, that their slogan is ride without restriction, no license registration or insurance required. So, you know, the companies are leaning into this, that they want these things to be like, you're free, you don't have to let the man tell you what to do because, you know, e-bikes are a new thing. And that's a problem. Uh, I'm a Californian, I live in California, I love California, it's the best state. California is considering regulation. I'm all for it, you know, do it. Um, 
So I think these things are good, but with a core of danger that the government just can't keep up with. And that's a problem of a lot of industries. Uh, there are some other downsides of this. Um, you know, uh, you sent me that article. There's an article in Times about this, you know, Dutch company, Van Maloof, which was considered like the Tesla or the, the Apple of e-bikes. They made these shishi e-bikes with long waiting lists, and then they just declare bankruptcy. And now all these Van Maloof, uh, did I say Van Maloof? It's Van Maloof. Yeah. Van Maloof. Thank yes. you. I don't speak, I don't speak your, your weird moon man language. So... Uh, Van Moof has declared bankruptcy, and now all these people are screwed because their proprietary, you know, technology no one else can service, and they're not going to replace the parts. So there's only so much you can repair them. So these things become scrap metal if they break because no yeah, one. Can that's, fix that's, them. Like a, so that's, that's like a that's like a Tesla problem. You know, that we're going to see a lot of. Well, this it's a problem. We don't need we don't need more companies fucking doing this, right? You sure. know, reduce recycle, right? Like I. I've had this issue this past week. My Keurig stopped working, right? I, I use a Keurig. And by the way, folks, I use refillable pods, so I'm not that evil. So I, I make coffee every morning with my Keurig. I love it. It's about seven, eight years old. I bought it when I moved here to California. And I, would, I, I couldn't get it working, and I watched the videos online. I read all the tips online. It still didn't work. So I'm like, do I just have to throw this thing away? Who's going to fix a Keurig, right? And it just feels like such a waste. And that's just bad. It's bad for the environment, but it's just a bad habit to throw things away when they stop working. And these companies that kind of engineer that to make more money, you know, again, welcome to the socialism cast. That's late stage capitalism, and it's bad. And then you mentioned the fires. If these things are flat out dangerous because the technology is shoddy, we got problems there. So I list all the problems, but I think on balance, this is pretty good. If it gets people moving, if it moves them away from cars in some respect, you know, I just think we need to control it a little better. And hopefully... It's natural and it will come with time. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think you have to dig hard to find some downside to this. And, you know, it's, it's like coming Oh, I, from, I didn't have to dig hard at all. I think it's right there, man. No, I think well, coming where I am from this in Holland, where, you know, Holland has a war on car culture. It's like listening, thinking of this topic as I, you know, pitch it to you, but then framing it and like, well, we got to talk about this with the United States bent. And it's like, no one's going to give a fuck about what I have to say about this in Holland. But this is, you know, this is a fait accompli, you know, like, uh, just as a bit of background, I was not on a bicycle from like the age of 11 until about 44 or 45. Are I, you, you know, serious? I, I didn't know. I didn't bike so you, in New York you weren't riding bikes at all. Right. You were right. You know what? Now I remember that. That makes sense. So you took up the bike when you got to Netherlands. Was this a moment like of inspiration or did you say, you know what, when I go to Holland, I'm going to start biking around? I mean, the latter. Yeah. It's just, it's like, well, that's part of the, part of the way of life is that this, this place, the cities especially are designed to be navigated via this uh, red burgundy path. That's the, 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 what they call the feet really? spot. But, the bicycle path. But yeah. isn't everything in isn't every street in Europe a cobblestone? And and in Netherlands, you got to wear the wooden shoes. So like, isn't yeah, that hard? that's true. That is true. You got to watch out. You watch out for the windmill and uh, make your own cheese every single day. It's it's a tough life. Yeah. So it's like again, the, the bicycle and the e-bike is a fait accompli. You know, the e-bike is going to become essentially a gigantic component of the fleet here. Um, you know, what is holding people back is price because e-bikes can be very expensive. Um, I yeah, when I moved here. Well, they, they go from, they're definitely four figures. Maybe at some point they'll get below four figures. They'll be hundreds of dollars. Um, at the beginning of pandemic, I upgraded from a, you know, a standard, um, I think it was a nine speed or a seven speed bike that I bought. Because that was great. I upgraded at the beginning of pandemic to another homegrown brand of bicycle called Quick. 
It's an e-bike that's made in country. It's uh, not an Amsterdam product. I think they're in the south of Holland. And I paid I paid thirty two hundred for a very good e-bike. Um, it is a not a, not so complex machine, but it's a very dirty dur- a durable machine. Uh, it doesn't break down. It, it has sort of a very simple engine. Um, I've, I have it up. You know, the upkeep is regular. You know, there's just not that many moving parts on a bike. Period. There's brakes. There's a wheel. There is a, a Shimano engine. Essentially, the the the, the pedals go through this engine that is that gives the assistance. Um, you know, it just essentially adds drivetrain to the torque to the chain to get it going. Uh, and, it, and there's a rechargeable battery that essentially slaps onto the uh, crossbar. That's that's it. It's it's a good piece of machinery. It's a good investment. It's going to last me for years. Um, you know, that's one of the barriers is price. And there's a, there's a Dutch people do not like to spend a lot of money if they don't have to. That's one of the that's one of the things here that they proudly own up to is a sort of sense of cheapness or for uh, uh, not for uh, not frivolity. But um, is is that a is that a stereotype that Dutch people are cheap? Yeah. I've never heard. Yeah, of they that, really. they they think it's a yeah. I mean, that's they proud. If you're an old school Dutch person, you actually keep that as a badge of, of courage. You say, I've, "I've never, I've never, I, you know, I heard you hear that about the Scotch. I've never heard yes. that as a stereotype well, of the Dutch. The, the Dutch are cheap. It doesn't okay. it doesn't go outside the country, but inside the country, the Dutch have is so we're not going to pay more money than we should, and you know, we're going to like you said, you're not going to have a curried coffee machine out until it's absolutely goddamn done. You can't make it work one more. They will use it exactly. for years and years and years. Exactly. So, um, yeah, the thing is, people, uh, you, you need to have the discretionary income to buy an e-bike, which is, you know, not, not as much as you could just essentially steal a bicycle here. That's one of the big gigantic problems with bike theft, since they're all over the place. And people, even if, if it's not chained and or not chained seriously, your bike can, can get taken, depending on what neighborhood you're in. Yeah, and, and it's like people don't like it, but it's, it's a fairly laissez-faire thing where, you know, once the bike vanishes, you can never find it again. And you just go and get a new bike. And that's why people don't like to spend a lot of money on bikes because there's a churn. There's a certain amount of churn you might have. So naturally, I take into account that I have a very thick chain on my bike. I take a lot of care for security. It's just one of those things I have to make sure. So, you know, I almost never had a regular bike situation. The e-bike is almost what I've known as an adult. So, I mean, I put this as like a topic to say I'm already sold and I can see the future of this too. And just so you're aware, riding a bike, you're responsible to maintain the same rules as a motorist would be when driving a car. Why are e-bikes gaining in popularity, whether in your home country of Holland or in the United States as well? And by the way, there is some bike infrastructure kicking up here. I did read that article you sent me. It was that that bicycle blog or whatever you sent me. And there was a little thing about Dallas. Dallas, Texas of all places, is building a bicycle loop. So, you know, bicycles, I think, are making a big comeback in the U.S., and I think the e-bike is a big part of that. So, but why? Why are e-bikes part of that, and why are bicycles, you know, gaining popularity? But let's focus on the e-bike, because that's what we're all about. This is a panacea, indeed, if you're looking to put your thumb on the scales of carbon burn and sort of win, win one back for the good guys. You know, I look at its heart, let's just say that the general appeal of bicycles is that it's fun as shit. It's a smooth ride generally if you're on a decent surface. Or hell, even if you're on a mountain bike. So I, I, don't, I don't do off-roading. There's no such thing as mountain biking here, but there's definitely trail biking. You're not one of those BMX guys? You weren't in the movie Rad? Rad, Gleaming the Cube. Oh, no, that was a skateboard. Gleaming the Cube was skateboarding. skateboarding, right. skateboarding. 
Who that was Christian Slater? Who was in Rat? Was anyone famous in Rat? Maybe Brolin. I don't know. It's a good question. I, I couldn't tell you for sure. Who? Who? Brolin. Mark I thought it might have been jo- Josh. Yeah, Mark Brolin. Josh Brolin, perhaps. I know he was Josh Brolin. I thought you said Bolin. I'm no. like Mark Bolin of T Rex. Okay. So here's the thing: if you come across a bike now in your adult life, and I noticed this when I was looking at the the city bikes uh, back in New York, a lot of that fleet's gone electric as well. You know, like the. Um, you know, I know that Copenhagen has a fleet of public bikes. Uh, France does. I've been to Paris recently, and they have a, a fleet of. I, th- I think they're pink and or lime green bikes. I, I don't think Los Angeles. I don't think Los Angeles has a fleet of bikes, but cities around the world are starting to get like public bikes, and that's kind of the city bike domino effect. That fleet is turning electric too. You know, which is which is a great great phenomenon that's being maintained. So the chances are, if you do come across a bike in your adult life in the near future, either as a tourist or commuter, it will most likely be one of these models. I mean, the future is now, where you now people aren't forgetting the fact that you know a regular bicycle is. It, to quote one of your great questions, what is the simplest conveyance for turning what is it containing conti- uh, potential energy into kinetic energy? Yes. Yeah, the bicycle. The bicycle. This is one of my favorite trivia questions. Uh, what 18th, 19th century invention is still the most efficient means of converting human energy into for into forward motion? Yeah, you would you and wouldn't think the, of it, but it's a great answer. And it's the, well, I mean, you would think of it when you when you when you step back, but you know. No, but it was, cool. but that that doesn't change. That is like you know pi. That that number is constant. It will never not be useful, no matter what country you go to. Whether you you know you're in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, or you're in Paris, or you're in Amsterdam, or you're in Los Angeles. You know, the bicycle is a great last mile. What we need to do is, you know, give room for it. Anyway, it's popular because of all these things. Again, it's like, and, and you know, I could sit there and say that I had so much fun on a bike as a kid when we had suburban streets that were safe to bike on. And getting back on as an adult, the actual feeling of speed, you know, like the... the the, 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 there's there's no chassis around you. There's nothing to like to take the vibration of the street, the feeling of the wind. It is a very sensual sensual experience to be on a bike in the best way possible, and still yet to be safe. I think you you mentioned a phrase that I think is important here: last mile. They talk about last mile transportation. I think that what that means is it's a very smart way to deal with the fact that at least, especially in the United States, our our infrastructure is built around the car. So how do you get people in public transport? Well, part of the problem is, great, you take the train, but you get off the train closest to your office, you're, you're still not walkable to your office. Maybe because it's too far, or maybe because you know, no one's going to walk on the freeway or something like that. So they talk about last mile transportation, like how do you get the people from the last mile to their destination? And you know these little e-scooters and all these things that showed up in the streets of all these cities, they are intending to deal with that. And I think... The cities that have fleets of rentable bicycles or rentable e-bikes are trying to deal with that. And e-bikes make it even easier because, you know, one of the problems of biking to work is then you're all sweaty or then you're tired or maybe you're not in good enough shape to bike a a dangerous road or a city street or something like that. And e-bikes make that easier. Uh, There's another term, micro-mobility, right? The little tiny things that can get us places. We don't need a big honking car or an entire, you know, subterranean train system. Uh, this is the logical next step of these efforts, these ideas. So in that sense, it's very smart. It makes sense to a lot of cities. You know, it's huge money to set up an e-bike fleet or even just to reg- allow e-bikes or make space for them or make rules about them is a huge money-saving initiative to get people out of their cars and to improve infrastructure and improve transportation. Uh, yes, it's better for the environment, right? 
bicycles are way, I read those stats, bicycles are way better for the environment than cars or even trains, and e-bikes are sort of the compromise, as I said. If you can't ride a bike, you know, do this. And that's why people are excited too about it, because it's not just cities appreciating it, it's people wanting to lessen their environmental impact. I didn't own a car until a couple years ago. I still rarely drive my car. Uh, When I bought my car, I was very adamant about getting a hybrid. I didn't want to get a total EV because I'm still spoiled enough to you know, feel that's too inconvenient. I don't have too enough opportunities to plug it in. But, you know, hybrids seem like the smart compromise. And like I said, I've had this car two months and I haven't had to fill the tank yet. So feels like I'm, you know, better for the environment than if I were rolling coal out of my Mack truck or whatever. Um, and then you said it's fun and I'm tempted, man. I'm really tempted I, to look for a place here to, to rent an e-bike because, you know, I worry about my physical ability to ride a bike in a safe manner well, an e-bike is, you know, a, a big push towards making that possible. Yeah, I can have the motor to help me out. Crawling up those hills with a Castro on a, on a bike. Right. It sounds like a real uh, son of even, a bitch. I wouldn't, I wouldn't start with that. I'd go to, like I said, go to a park where there's a big flat area and, you know, try that out. So, I don't know. I might do that. Um, I also want to add that, you know, the e-bike technology has a lot of fun possibilities beyond the standard e-bike. And here's a quote for you. Electric self-balancing unicycles exist. Uh, They're not legal for use on the public highway, including footways and cycle paths in the United Kingdom. So, you know, subjects of King Charles who want to ride your unicycle on the freeways, I'm I'm sorry, I have some bad news. The level of ridership's almost doubled or more every year since 2015. And we see no, no, no slowing of that in the years forward as we look at fuel prices increasing and other challenges to transportation only getting worse. No, would you have liked Abikes when you were a kid? You said Abikes, but it sounded like you said BKs. So like, would I have liked Burger King when I was a kid? Right, yeah, BK doubles, yeah. Or British Night Sneakers, BKs, remember? British Night Sneakers, yeah. that's right. I had those briefly. <laughs> I, was, I was called a poser when I had them. Because I'm tempted now. So as a kid, when I had more, you know, energy and physical strength, I would have been very tempted. Uh, and the little electronic thing would have been cool. I went through a couple moments, like I said, thought about getting a motorcycle. And I went through moments even when I was older, like maybe I'll get like a little scooter, like a Vespa or something. I'll be the Vespa guy, right? Uh, and I never went ahead with it, but I don't know. There are times I wish I had, so. How much does a Vespa scooter cost? I have no idea. That's a good question. Probably a good a Vespa, like Italian branded Vespa. That's like the the old fashioned brand, ye oldie brand from Rome or Florence or wherever it's from. I bet you it's quite old a bit. Roman brand. Ye oldie, yeah. Yeah. Royal Dutch Vespa. Royal Royal Italian Vespa. Yeah. Well, Mussolini's Vespa. I uh, would, anyway. Yeah, I would have absolutely loved this uh, when I was a kid because I was a you know our Suffolk County, Long Island suburb. This is before they chase kids indoors with fear of, um, you know, abductors and, and, and cyanide, razor blade right. apples and all that That's shit. Right. The, the, biggest, the biggest threat in Long Island is, is, is a people abducting you into this, black vans. Yeah, with, and this, this was like we were, razor we were on the roads with cars. We were on sidewalks. Hell, there's no sidewalks in Suffolk County. Not in the 80s. There, weren't a fucking, there wasn't a single sidewalk out there. So, yeah, the, the bicycle was, like I said, a gra- it was a graduation to the bicycle. I forget what age I started riding a bicycle. You know, and I had a little uh, uh, a range of where I was able to go. And the thing is, it's like by the time high, sc- high school runs around, uh, comes around, I should say, in the early 90s, I stopped. You know, the bicycle then looked like something that kids do. And so then it was hanging out with friends and I abandoned the bicycle. And then by 93, 18 years old, get, get the driver's license because Long Island is all car culture. So I turned my bike, I turned my back on the bike 
if I was sitting here spoonerizing, spoonerizing myself. You turned uh, your bike on the back. I turned my bike on the back. Uh, I, flipped, I flipped the bike on the back of the box. And, um, yeah, so, the, you know, the push-to-car culture, which seems so important from 1993 to 2019, or I should say from 1993 uh, until I moved to New York City in 2001. When I was in Carolina for a couple of years there, obviously there's no such thing as mass transit. There was no such thing as bicycles. It was car, car, cars everywhere throughout Dixie. It was wait, the, but you were in a, wait. You were in a city, right? I was in Durham, and Durham. I lived in Raleigh. I, I lived in. There's sorry. no public transit in Raleigh, Durham. Uh, no, there is public transit, but you know, it's it's antiquarian. It was it was it was maintained for. I'm not one of those people. Well, I'm just saying it didn't work to get you where you needed to go. It really didn't work. Um, yeah. So the thing is, in New York City, I never uh, never really thought about it. But you know, let's just like the whole idea of coming here in Holland. Like you asked me before about getting on a bike as an adult. I thought of it like, oh, this is a great reward. I honestly don't know the adventure I'm going to be in for once I get back on a bike. I have to work on balance again and getting comfortable and learning the rules of the road. And, you know, essentially it, it is a complex dance. Bicycling in a giant crowd here on, on in Amsterdam in particular, such a, a dense city, requires a little skill and a lot of acclimation to the road surface. Uh, you know, the people on it and, the, you know, the tr- ways of traffic on the highways and everything like that. But, yeah. It makes me regret ever getting off a bike. And it's like, but I haven't lived in a place where it was safe to bike. I would never, ever, ever, ever ride a bicycle in New York City. We have good friends who do. Our good friend Steve Flack is a champion against car culture. The guy's a hero as far as I'm concerned. Um, but you know what? Every, <laughs> every, single, every single person I know that rides a bicycle has faced incredible peril and harm. And I don't want to exercise, even with a helmet, even with protect, you know, it's like it just is force majeure. And I don't want to take that kind of risk. Um, but, you know, the whole point of it is when I was a kid, I would also have thought about that. You know, we were talking about this as a kid, the idea that there's a carbon footprint. We fucking knew about this in 90, 91, 92, 93. Yes, we did. So this would have there been. Was a, there was a, a, a robust proposal to President George Bush, the elder, like let's as a country, you know, this is going to be a problem. And he considered it and he said, nah. While they are an efficient form of micromobility, are they safe to use in a country like the US where infrastructure is largely in favor of cars? Bill, is the rise of the e-bike, is that in any way a auger of the apocalypse? Not in the least. Um, I mean, granted, we're still talking about some rare earth metals being used. The, the, the chemicals inside the battery, like, I mean, that the ship, the ship has left the station. The train has left the port, Noah, on... The whole idea of, of uh, yeah, thank you about the, about the e the e bike has left the rabbit warren. The glove is on the other bike at this point. Um, the the like the idea we're going all in on rechargeable power sources uh, and you know maybe even what the hydrogen engine at some point, which just spits out water vapor and air or, or, or something like that. It's going to be a whole different emotional, uh, not emotional, ecological catastrophe with what's required to build those things. That you know, and we'll deal with that as it comes along. But it essentially it's better than carbon at this point. So anyway, you know, this is not a sign of the apocalypse. You know, unless you hold the chaos of our streets, um, you know, against cycling, you know, you, you, you require... Reg- Some people do. Yeah, you require regulation and the sort of this apprehension, this misapprehension against cycling and not car culture, which is just absolutely fucking bonkers. And I, again, I realize I'm sitting in an ivory tower here in this Holland. Is, America is the country of insecurity. You know, well, it's not just that. Look, is, what, what would it be like if you went to fucking uh, Newcastle, England, or or some Lyon, Paris? It's granted, it, it, it's different there, but I don't think it's any better. It's not built any better. Car, car culture, other than a few a few champion cities, 
you know, I mean, actually, I was going to say Paris, for the most part, has changed the entire route of Rivoli over. It's like there's one car lane and there's three lanes for bicycles. When I was last time, it's it's wild to go past the Tuileries and the, and the, the Louvre uh, on a bicycle. It's just absolutely crazy. So, no, I mean, you know, municipalities are kind of allowing homicidal drivers, you know, they're, they're off the hook. They can essentially kill with impunity. You know, people, people get squished. And if the driver wasn't intending to kill the person... In New York City, of all places, it's not you're not liable for it. It's it's fucking bonkers. Oh, and I, here's the, here's the one thing I will bring up now, and this is the last few times I've been in New York. I should say after pandemic, I noticed that the bicycle, the Uber Eats fleet, they use a they use a different type of bicycle. They use e-bikes that don't require pedaling. It's essentially an electric throttle, and they don't they don't they don't have governors on speed. It's like those motherfuckers. Oh yeah, fly. Yeah. Well, one thing we didn't mention. Is one of the issues here is you know e-bikes have certain classifications. There are the ones that you need to pedal, the ones that have the throttle, the ones that you know certain certain levels. And but um, I think it's it's up to twenty miles an hour most of them, the fastest they can go, and then the highest levels up to twenty eight miles an hour. But it is very easy, and there are many videos on YouTube that can show you how. Like by snipping one wire, you can get it going way faster than twenty eight miles. An yeah, hour. I know the hack so on my bike. I, I wouldn't do it again because it. Yeah, it, yeah, but I can definitely get it up to almost like thirty miles an hour. So, so here you have something with limited regulation that with just, you know, one little tool and one little snip and one easy trick that you can read about online, you can make into, you know, basically a moped. And without regulation on the mean streets of a city like New York or Newcastle or anywhere, but, you know, plus, like you say, the culture where cars are king, right? And I think the United States is plagued by insecurity in the people who actively go out of their way to mock bicyclists it's, or, you know, it, or it's a problem. park in bike lanes or remove by or where was it in uh, somewhere in Brooklyn like some Hasidic Jews literally just went out and repainted bike lanes because they didn't like bicycles yeah they didn't want it to happen it's like the thing is in New York City um, use this, these are the two cities they've lived in the two cities like frequent most frequently now frequent most frequently frequent most frequently yeah. now is that the bicycle is more apt to share the space with the pedestrian rather than a car. Not yes. that they don't sit with yeah. a car, but the problem uh-huh. is going to be like when you're shooting metal rockets on these hyperdrive engines, the Uber guy who's trying to who's trying to earn a living, no no disrespect intended to the Uber Eats guy. They're out there hustling in the cold weather. They're doing God's work. Believe me, if we use Uber Eats, it's fine. But it's like it is tough to ask them to take a gigantic flying metal chassis and aim it at pedestrians if you're sharing the same narrow uh, sidewalk space. That could be apocalyptic. No, I mean, this is a step in the right direction in terms of, you know, anything we can do to get us out of cars or, or get car culture to not be king. You know, to rethink our society's, you know, thrall to the automobile, which, again, I own a car. I drive. Not that much, but I drive. I'm part of it. We're all part of it. Uh, to some extent. But yeah, this is a step in the right direction. The e-bike is pushing the bicycle into a more, dare I say, mature. There are people, I mean, people who really scorn bikes, like, oh, it's for children. Like, no, it's not. But the e-bike is maybe a more maturing of that idea and something that can live alongside the car, slot alongside the car a little better, provided there's the right regulation. And it sounds like people are starting to get with the program or at least think about it, you know, e.g. my California. I mean, they're expensive, but they're still a heck of a lot cheaper than than buying a car. And what we found, you know, with having two kids, that we basically did almost every trip we needed to do. All right, Noah, let's take this thing in for an ending here. We got our last two segments. What do you think of jealousy, Mm -hmm. my friend? Does anything about the e-bike phenomenon inspire jealousy? Yeah. I mean, I've always been jealous that I'm not, you know, more active 
and not more physically hardy. And I wish I were younger because this would have been the perfect step for me to try it out. And I know I could do it now. I know I could. Maybe I will. But I'm just, you know, I'm tired all the time, folks. I'm tired all the time. I'm an old man. Uh, so I wish I were younger. I had the balls to try this. Yeah, I'm jealous. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, I got on the wagon at exactly the right time in the right place. On um, the wagon. Uh, yeah. On this wagon, at least. Yeah, the, the idea of moving to Holland. The e-wagon. The, the e-wagon. That's the next thing. We were, here, we were here for five months before the pandemic kicked in. So I was, really didn't have a, a, an honest handshake with Holland as a resident here for a good number of years. Becoming a homeowner, etc., things like that. Um, you know, so buying an e-bike is almost like my first bike experience and then being able to see the streets of Amsterdam as they're denuded of people it's almost like a debug mode in a video game there were no tourists in the red light district I was able to just do circles for years and years and years and memorize the map in a way I could never with all as congested as it is now with all these people you know I had I had a really farcical view of Holland and Amsterdam in particular just because it was I was allowed to see it without anybody in it and again not having to ride a bike against the wind even though Holland is a flat, 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 flat country, the wind here is brutal because it just comes right off the North Sea. It's just it's, it, that's why there's windmills here, because this country is a wind-filled uh, place. So um, you know, I'd be uh, uh, I'd be shocked to see a better environment for e-bikes and right outside my door. You know, like it's so it's hard to cultivate jealousy because, again, I had the amount of money it took to buy a decent e-bike, which is awesome. You know, um, I have heard though there is some resentment from OG bicyclists. My my friend Sky, yes, my friend is. Sky Wingfield. We haven't mentioned that. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah so uh, Sky Wingfield, yeah. a listener of the podcast, a host of Film Eighty Nine, he once accused me of uh, cheating. Uh, he says cheating for essentially not not doing it the old fashioned way. And he's a mountain bike guy. He's got a knobby tire bike. He lives in Wales, which is beautiful country. It's actually hilly. There's a lot of outdoor space, things like that. And um, I've seen, I've, I've laid eyes on it. It's great. And, you know, like he gets this, there's a real catharsis he gets from being able to travel outdoors and, uh, you know, take mountain paths and stuff like that. So I think somebody who relies on the assistance of an engine in an urban environment looks like they're getting off easy. I will say that I have a bum knee. My left knee is pretty arthritic. So the thing is, the, being able to maintain an outdoor vigorous life and get a lot of exercise Especially with it's you know it's like it's all leg day every time you're in, in Holland on a bicycle. I'll take the I'll take the uh, aspersions that people throw at me. Cheating maybe I think it's a good equalizer yeah. if you have shitty knees and like me. I, there's definitely an anti e bike um, uh, sentiment out there. I was trying to find it because there's a bar I go to pretty regularly that has behind the bar an anti e bike sticker and I can't remember what it says and I haven't been there since we decided this was our topic. But googling around, I find stickers that say I hope your battery dies. In a picture of an e-bike, you know, behind the red but circle. It, congratulations! It's just it's like an escalator. Yeah. You now have stairs. Yeah. You now have a bike. Bikes are mopeds. Yeah, things like that. And my response would be a version of what you did: is like, I'm sorry, man. I'm not 25 years old, and not everyone is a physical marvel, or even you know, one tenth of a physical marvel enough to ride a bike around a, a crazy city. You know, this bar is on a street that you know, I'm, I'm nervous about crossing the street. The cars are so crazy there, let alone riding a bike. So. I don't. Know. I I think I think they got to give some grace to the to the you know, the the lamos like us. But um, yeah, there's definitely an anti e bike sentiment out there. I don't want to go without mentioning that. All right, Bill. So let's place e bikes on the fallopian fallopian fallonian scale, whatever we call it these days. The X Y Z and imaginary number axis of where 
um, all the topics we talked about. And how many topics are we now? Two hundred sixty something. Yeah, we're uh, charging at the gate of three hundred soon. We are. Uh, Jesus, I know. Can, it's crazy. Can you believe it. Who, who would have thunk it? This is two seventy. Um, number two seventy, actually, to be precise. Two seventy. There you go. Two seventy, the magic number. Um, I I still remember as a kid, two seventy was the highest weight our scale at home went to. And then when I started liking pro wrestling, I remember thinking like, oh, some of the wrestlers wouldn't wouldn't be able to go on this scale because yeah. they're too big. That was when you grew up in parts unknown. Is that where that was? I grew up in parts unknown. That's right. I never understood that. So the wrestlers, the mysterious wrestlers, wore a mask from parts unknown. And sometimes they would, you know, they'd always say so and so from you know Hulk Hogan, Venice Beach, California, three hundred two pounds. So they'd say parts unknown, but sometimes they say weight unknown. So what does that mean? Like the guy wouldn't get on the scale? Like Maybe. how do they? They're like, okay, you can wrestle. We'll let you wrestle. We'll pay you, but you could you you could opt out of being on the scale. Maybe he, maybe he held a rope overhead so he wasn't given accurate reading. You know, exactly. Yeah. Weight on. They couldn't trust the. the, the he's that mysterious. Weight unknown. Uh, anyway, uh, so where do you put this on the Felonian scale compared to our past topics? Well, I think that this is the toppiest of the top of, of all possible tops, or at least among really? one that, you know, right. the question is what's your, what's your mileage, uh, to, as a pun, what, your mileage may vary, but like, I would say recently I thought of like jury duty, which was something really good that we enjoyed full, you know, full stop without any kind of apprehension. It was really good. Or if I want to throw it into a throwback category from the old days, I would say something like ASMR, which I've always just continually loved. And much like ASMR, by the way, I suggested ASMR. I suggested this too because it was a way for me to get something that I'm actually using in my life on the show as a topic that I'm very bully about. So I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, well, I put this, uh, you know, I, I was looking at the things we looked at that might be actually good for the environment. I remember metal straws. Yes, remember I those? still have my metal straws, yeah. I... I... They don't have those. Um, so, but I think they're better than metal straws. So I took metal straws and I multiplied it by something vaguely environmental, uh, but one half of it. So metal straws times one half of Revenge of the Orcas. Remember that? Uh, just a few orcas, weeks ago, yeah. Just a, well, a couple months ago, starting to fight back. So here, here you go. Here's where you plot it, okay. right? You ready? Yeah, write this I'm down. With you. Yeah. Metal, metal straws times one half. Wait, my pencil broke. Hang on a second. Okay, go on. Okay. All right. You got your sharpener? Yes. Okay, good. And this might be near the tippy top. Metal straws times one half of Revenge of the Orcas plus 7.128. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going so, to so gonna... take out your graphing calculator and your, and your T-square. And, and I, and will, I will also add this. I will say it is highly unlikely that you will suffer an Orca attack whilst on an e-bike. Highly unlikely. Uh, yes, probably. Until the Orcas mutate like in one of those Piranha movies. Yes. And they can fly through the air and attack people, you know. Or, on land. or they can they they get up like like mud skippers. They essentially uh, come up on their their pectoral fins and somehow splash yes. their way over to you to bite right. you. That 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 is definitely a scary horror movie title, Mud Skipper. That's a good one. <laughs> all right, everybody. If you, all right. If you'd like to find past, let's wrap this up. Past episodes of our show here, uh, all two hundred and sixty nine, subtracting this one of them. Uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us at Noah and Bill. Don't get it at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregators. That's how people find podcasts. But action. Calls to action. I'm on uh, Twitter, shall we say. Yeah, that's what we'll call it this week. At William Scurry. And uh, you'll find my video content on YouTube at youtube.com slash amcaesar. Now, here's Noah. He'll tell you all his vital information. Learn all about me at bigquizthing.com. Uh, my company, The Big Quiz Thing, America's finest providers of corporate and private live 
trivia events in person and virtual. And uh, as you listen to this, we're a couple days away from uh, Wednesday, August 9th, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Do the math on the other time zones. Uh, we're doing one of our semi-regular uh, midday trivia breaks, uh, a free game open to all. One hour game in the middle of your uh, hopefully not too stressful workday. Uh, play with your friends. See what we're all about. Hosted by me. Try before you buy. Uh, learn more at BigQuizThing.com. RSVP for the event today happening Wednesday, August 9th. BigQuizThing.com. Okay, so until the next episode where me and Noah talk about traveling around the world in 80 days in an e-balloon, an electric balloon. Yes, that's what I said. We don't, we don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2023.